I kind of know what you're thinking. Couldn't we let them keep going and not have this guy come up? <laughs> well, sorry. You know, um, when, when you think about uh, this whole story, this idea that we celebrate at this time of year, um, we, we have lots of help uh, because as Halloween approaches, orange turns to red, and all of the marketing and the screens in front of us, uh, on the billboards around us, and the stores we enter into all start to tell us a story about Christmas. And that story usually relates to um, purchasing things. It's, it's about the spirit of giving. It's just about this idea of nostalgia. It's about finding some kind of special feeling or special smell or special scent that, that brings back memories of, of a time when life was centered. You know, the, the idea of, of being in a place where you feel on balance that emotionally, physically, mentally, intellectually, socially, all those kind of things, you, you, you feel like you've got your stance, you're, you're just there. Uh, that, that's the concept that the word in the first half of the Bible, uh, shalom, is used for. This idea of finding peace, finding this centeredness, finding this kind of space in our lives. But unfortunately, as the story goes, um, the world we live in, and it's no surprise to you, is off balance. I mean, you, you don't have to, to know that. Many of us went to Thanksgiving dinners, and if you were at a Thanksgiving celebration with family and the whole political situation came up, uh, invariably, almost every family you know, has someone from the right and someone from the left and very few in the center. And so all of a sudden it becomes this, these political hand grenades being tossed back and forth. Um, and, and what is supposed to be this time of nostalgia and family and friends and warmth and, and, and genuine humanness turns into ugliness. And that's the world we live in right now. Um, but it's no secret. It's been that way for a long, long time. We may feel like it's ratcheting up at a level in our lifetime, uh, but if we have a sense of history, if we go back a ways, we can see other periods when things were, were just as mean. And so how do we put all this together? How do we explain all of this? You see, this... Um, Christmas story uh, is many of us represent as a nativity. We, we have this nativity scene, and you know, maybe you've got you know, your nativity scene. You've got maybe, maybe a classical one that sort of you know, looks very historical, or maybe you've got a Smurfs nativity scene, or you know, who knows what. You know, we, we have all these different versions of the nativity scene. And just, just as a, this is a little hobby horse of mine, but I don't know if you realize this, but the three wise men were not at the nativity scene. Did, did you realize that? So run home today and get your three wise men across the room. They were not there. It took them two years to get there. Now, 
you don't have to trust me on that. Just open your Bible and read it for yourself and you'll discover that. But there are a lot of things about this uh, scene, this nativity, that we don't necessarily get because we don't spend a lot of time thinking about this story. So this morning, I just want to use two passages from the Bible that speak to it, uh, not historically, but topically, speak into it. And I read one last week, uh, John 1, 1 through 14, uh, in and that is a, a, a fascinating passage uh, of Scripture. It's the one that starts, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, um, down in verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. So we begin to get the idea that the Word was Jesus, right? So th- this morning, I, I want to read that passage uh, in a version that, that many of you might be familiar with if you've um, you know, bought a new Bible lately. But there's a guy named Eugene Peterson who started writing. Uh, he, he was a, a guy who had a lot of experience in both Hebrew and Greek. The first half of the Bible is written mostly in Hebrew, small portion of it in Aramaic, and the last half of the Bible is written in Greek. And Eugene Peterson was, um, was a guy who, who could read the original languages. Um, he could open a Hebrew Bible and read it. He could open a Greek Bible and read it. So he had a lot of experience in the original text. And so he was working with a, a group of adults, and he was basically having, having this study with them. And so every week he would write the passage that they were um, dealing with that week, he would write it in sort of his own words. He, he would put it in what he felt like was common English. And over time, as he began to do that and accumulate these things, people began to see this stuff, and the people that were in this study with him began to share it, and all of a sudden, people said, we got to get this. And so... Um, Eugene Peterson, by a publishing company, was pressed into doing the entire Bible, something he never really wanted to do. He was an introvert by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, He lived out the the last part of his life in Montana in a cabin, his boyhood home on a lake. Uh, and, And it was funny, if you go do Eugene Peterson and Bono, all right? So... Bono found a copy of this message Bible and wanted to meet Eugene Peterson. When they went to Eugene Peterson and said, Bono wants to meet you, you know what his response was? That's right. Who's Bono? I mean, who doesn't know who Bono is, right? Right? Come on. You know, he's the lead singer for ACDC, right? Okay, no. You too, you too, come on. So that, that's who he was. So, so he writes this, and, and I just want to read the, the John 1, 1 through 14, in, in the version that is now commonly referred to as the message. It's available in, in our bookstore over here, if you'd like to get it. It's, it's a great way to start getting your fingerprints in the Bible, because it makes the truth of the Bible very accessible. It says, the word was first, John 1, 1. The Word was present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through Him. 
Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. Now, just as a side note here, we're going to discover in verse 14 that the word was Jesus. So, John is telling us that Jesus is the creator of the universe. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The light life blazed out of darkness. The darkness could not put it out. I'm going to skip a couple of verses here down to verse 9. The light life was the real thing. Every person entering life he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him, and yet the world did not even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and who would do what he said, he made them to be their true selves. Their child of God selves. These are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start. To finish. That phrase moved into the neighborhood represents what happened in the story when God left heaven and came to earth. Now, I don't know if you have thought much about this. You know, we are not really big time teleological thinkers, right? You're thinking, what the hell is he talking about? You know, Telos, the word uh, in, in Greek for end, and, and, and drick, uh, dragged over into English, starts talking about you know, purpose, the, the study of purpose, the study of why things exist. And we don't do a lot of, of sitting around you know, campfires, uh, you know, scraping the Milky Way about why we exist and that kind of stuff. Life's just uh, too full of, of trivial stuff to think about those kinds of things, right? And, and so as, as we... Think about what's happening here in this story as we come and we sign Christmas cards and we buy Christmas gifts and we set up nativity scenes and we plan for all kinds of Christmas activities. At the core, at the teleological purpose, the purpose, the end, the means of this thing is the story of God leaving heaven and coming to earth. Now think about this for a moment. It's hard to find a, an illustration that, that describes what it would be like. I mean, think for a moment today, uh, if you get out of here on time and, and you get home for the kickoff and the first shot you see of Andy Reid on the sidelines, he's wearing a Raiders jersey. What would you feel like? I mean, a few exploits deleted, you know? You would, you would, it's like, it's just uncharacteristic, right? You can't imagine that that would ever happen. 
And if it did, he would have to be raising a lot of money for some really good cause. Because God forbid anyone would ever wear a Raiders jersey, right? It's just not in the sense of human to wear a Raiders jersey for a Chiefs fan. Now, I know some of you are Raiders, and you're going to come up and tell me I offended you, and that's fine. You know, that's good. I appreciate it. It's my gift. <laughs> so, so this thing is so far God, someone who's limitless, no, no, no limit whatsoever, knowledge, power, uh, what love, uh, whatever you can put in the center of that limitless. And yet, he chose to, to take on the form of a human. Uh, the other passage that's so vital to this is in Philippians 2. I would guess in my own life that these two passages are two of the most important, significant passages that I've, I've ever read. In Philippians 2, I won't read the whole thing, but it says... Um, who, speaking of Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to his own advantage, something to be grasped, held onto. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being formed and found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself to becoming obedient even to death on the cross. So here, here's the deal. It's like God concocts this plan. Now, think about this for a moment. This all fits together. This is like a big puzzle. And if you don't get all the puzzle pieces in, you don't really kind of grasp the power of it. But, but you and I exist for one of two reasons, either by chance, some chemicals got together and made us, or by choice, there was an intelligent design. We're either a product of Darwinian evolution or divine creation. One of the two. And, and as we move down through life, that kind of big puzzle picture should begin to influence which side we fit on. If we fit on one side, nothing really matters a whole lot. If we fit on another side, everything matters To the nth degree. And if we back this thing up a little bit and we realize that if it is by choice, if, if by divine creation, this God who so desperately wanted a family created Adam and Eve in the garden and wanted to, to them to share his attributes. And yet they chose to go a different direction, and the world gets screwed up, and here we are today in the screwed up world that we live in. How do we heal it? I mean, we can either choose to sort of find peace and, and numb ourselves out by either entertaining ourselves to death by, you know, the screens that we look at or the substances that we want to abuse or whatever, or we can connect with the original intent, and we can figure out how do we find how do, we, how do we engage what God intended for us? It was in John 1, it says, you know, that true light 
gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But yet to those who did, he gave, John says, the right to become children of God, the right to be in his family. And so this uh, scene around the, the manger, this, this moment of, of coming, this Jesus moving into the neighborhood was an opportunity for you and I to reconnect with the divine. To sort of jump off of one track and jump onto another to sort of get connected back to the life and the light of the world. You know what's interesting about this is that it's a trek back to our true humanness. We were made in the likeness of God. We were made like God. We can think and choose and, and dream, and we have all of these attributes that are God-like. And God came as a human to show us what he wanted us to be. He wanted us to be truly human, to be the kinds of people that feel and love and have a texture to life that it is deep and high and wide and long. He wanted life to feel like he intended it to feel. But yet he finds us in that, that mess of life. That's what he came, as you saw in the video. He came into a manger. He came into a, a horse stall. A manger is a feeding trough. He came into this very uh, unusual kind of a poor uh, moment in life, almost rejected in a sense. I mean, let's face it, if it was Christmas Eve and a, a teenage guy and a really, really, really pregnant teenage girl came to your door, what would you do? I mean, just think about it. I mean, strangers, total strangers on Christmas Eve. Do you have the heart to turn them away? Or would you open your door and, and, and try to get them help? And maybe you've never delivered a baby before like I have. Um, I have four children. I delivered all of them. Is my wife still in here? No, she's gone. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, you know, it, but this is what happened in this story is this Young teenage guy, maybe 18, 19, 20, 21. Teenage girl, maybe 16, 15, 16, 17. Big time pregnant. Big time pregnant. And, and no one will take them in. No, no one will. And so God enters the world rejected. It's when, when you get over to the book of Hebrews and you see that it talks about Jesus that that he was tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. You, you begin to see that, that Jesus experienced all of the emotions that you and I experience. And yet he didn't choose to go his own way. He chose always to go his Father's way. You know, it's hard for us to understand. I think a lot of times people say, well, Jesus wasn't tempted as I. He's never sinned. And I say, well, that's the point. Who knows the power and strength of a temptation? 
Think of it in terms of uh, those of you who's, who struggle with alcohol. You know, on, on this side of sobriety, you, you know the full strength of that addiction, right? When you make a choice not to drink, and, and you're fully capable of grabbing whatever your beverage of choice was and downing it, and you choose not to. You know the full strength of temptation, but for those of us who fail at that moment of choosing sobriety or not, we, we never got to the full extent of the temptation. Jesus did. And so when we look at this baby in a manger, we look at, at the very first of many rejections that he will feel in life, the, the very first qualification of him being able to identify with you and I. As a baby, his parents were rejected. He never really had a home. He lived with his parents for, we think, the first 12 to 15 years of his life. And then after that, he just sort of moved around and camped out. I mean, it's really strange to say this, but Jesus never went to church. It wasn't big on his agenda. Uh, biblically functioning community was. Finding a band of people who were following his father and doing his father's bidding in this world was big time in his life. But not religious gatherings like this. And we come to that manger. We, we come to see that it, it, it represents a counterintuitive message. Here is a young man and a young woman rejected, even by their family. Even though they've come home to their sort of you know, where, where they belong, in a sense, genealogically, to be counted in this thing. They come home and they get rejected by their relatives. And so they're stuck in a stable. And then it, it gets even weirder in that Bible says that Mary was a virgin. I mean, let's face it, those of us who have daughters, if our daughter comes home and says, I'm pregnant, and you ask, who's the father? You expect an answer. I mean, you expect the name of another guy you want to kill. Or at least castrate. You know, I mean, you know, there, there's a, there, there is a human expectation for that happening. But the bizarreness of this situation, I think it's why we don't ever see Mary's parents on the scene. Because I'm guessing they flipped out. You're... You're pregnant by who? By, by God? Oh, give me a break. You can't be, you can't be serious. There, there is not enough illegal substances in the world for me to believe that that's true. You've you, you got to be kidding me. But yet that's the story that the Bible tells. This birth, this crazy moment in the manger when... When God visits us, he moves into the neighborhood, our neighborhood. He becomes human. The Bible says he's coming without a human father. It is a miraculous birth. You see, let me go back to the puzzle illustration. This, this holds together. This whole thing holds together. You, you, you might want to be like a Thomas Jefferson 
you know, Thomas Jefferson didn't like a lot of this, this stuff in the Bible, so he took scissors or whatever he had at that time and cut it out, and he had this little Bible that, that had everything that he wanted in it, everything that he thought he could believe, everything that he could stomach, and that what he couldn't, he tossed out. It seems to me to be intellectually indefensible for a guy supposedly as smart as Thomas Jefferson, a guy who wrote some of the founding documents of our country because the story of the Bible holds together or it falls apart. You can't just pick and choose. And so we get this moment in history when God moves into the neighborhood. He takes on human flesh. He becomes like you and I. Why? So you and I will draw near to him. So you and I will, will once again pursue what it's like to be truly human, to be truly, fundamentally human the way God intended it to be, not the way we intended it to be. And that's when things start to get back to shalom. That's when things start to get centered. That's when things start to feel like they belong emotionally, intellectually. That's when we're able to process all of the crap that's in our lives that we feel guilty for. And many of us start this spiritual journey, we come here on a treadmill thinking, I need to earn God's favor only to discover the more we stay on that treadmill, the faster it gets. There's not a snowball's chance in hell you're ever going to earn God's favor. You just can't. And that's why Jesus came. Because he knew you couldn't. He knew that you were helpless. It's why when Jesus comes along in John 10 and he looks out on the crowd and he says, they're helpless and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, comes to reclaim his sheep. To offer them the opportunity to regain the family and to regain their humanness, and to regain a sense of what it's like to live in this world and the world to come connected with the Father in heaven. You know, it's interesting, in my journey here at Shoal Creek over the last 30 years, talking with a lot of you who are just beginning or not even interested in a spiritual journey, I had to learn to change my language because it, at first I used to ask people if they wanted a personal relationship with God. And I found that Pretty generally, most people think they have a relationship with God. And that, that sort of stunned me theologically. I think, wait, 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 wait. You know, and, and, and I realized that, that my own heritage, my own theological heritage was really messed up and not in sync with the Bible because it is true. We all feel like we are related to God because we are his created image. We're created in his image. We're his creatures. We're created with dignity. But the thing we fail to, to sort of put in the equation is that we also have to acknowledge our depravity, like I talked about last week. We got that red dot. You got to acknowledge that. And when we do, it, it puts us in that helpless category. The reality is, is that our Father in heaven knew that. And he knew that we couldn't earn his favor. And so he earned his own favor by sending the good shepherd Jesus to live to die, and to rise again. You know, there's all kinds of crazy miraculous around this story. Everywhere you look, 
girl getting pregnant without having sex, a human being being tortured to death on a cross, put in a grave, and comes back to life. And we have to ask ourselves, is that the story that I'm willing to trust? Is that the pathway I want to take back to the life that God intended for me? Or do I want to take the other path and just continue to try to make meaning in my own life apart from myself? And that's what this, is, this season's all about. It's about God becoming innocent, becoming approachable in such a way that you and I might get the fact that we're in desperate need of the baby Jesus. But that baby Jesus became a risen Savior. He was everything wrapped into one. And that's why when Paul says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to be the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's where this thing's headed. This thing's headed so a point where every knee bows to Jesus. Now, I, I could be wrong. You know, I, I, I could be totally wrong. But I don't think I am. I have enough clues, enough, uh, enough ideas that I see in my own mind. I have enough things I feel in my own being that, that this is true. That this is actually true. And it's worthy of investing our lives. And so we have this baby lying in a manger who gives us a signal that we can be truly human because God he became like us and he did some things for us that we couldn't do for ourselves let's pray father, father there's uh, so much more of this that exists in the world uh, in the bible there's so much more of this story that that we could keep piling on and putting in and, and making it happen um, but but that would take a long time and the fact is is that it can be also really simple it can be just crystal clear um, that that you came to us so that we could come to you and so, Father, as we, as we finish this morning together, I pray that in the next few moments, might be personal moments for us, that might be unique moments. There's some of us who are just beginning this journey. Some of us are here under compulsion. We're not even, we didn't even want to be here, but someone drug us here. But yet we feel a sense of tug at our souls. And so I, I pray that in these next few moments that, that this message of God leaving heaven, coming to earth, would be personal. And that we would leave here this morning asking, what's next? What do I do now? Where do I go? 
that, that we would want to establish this idea that I don't just have a relationship with a creator God. I now have a relationship with a father God who is drawing me into his family. Thank you. Thank you for that truth that you will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.